Hello, everyone. My name is Robert Winfrey, and what you're about to listen to is an old episode of a podcast I used to host called Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. This particular episode originally aired on May 30th, 2013, and features myself and my longtime collaborator and good friend Mark Rydlitz discussing Mark's favorite comic book character of all time, bar none. In fact, I believe he still has a poster of him over his bed, the Hulk. Now, this particular... This is part one of this series. Part two will be released tomorrow, and is myself and Robert Cooper discussing the Hulk's external antagonists. Guys like Thunderbolt Ross, The Abomination, uh, etc. Uh, forgive me, I've, it's been a long time since I've looked at the Hulk's rogues gallery, so off the top of my head I remember those two pretty specifically. They're some of the more famous ones. But Mark and I took a slightly different approach here in this one, in that Again, the Hulk is Mark's favorite character because he represents a very psychological character when you get into the nitty-gritty of him. So we discuss the Hulk as his own worst enemy. Uh, how the different uh, iterations of the Hulk have been different uh, kinds of obstacles for Bruce Banner to overcome, how Bruce Banner is kind of a jerk. You know, all of that is kind of on the table here. So it's the Hulk as his own worst enemy. It's a slightly different kind of discussion than you might normally get. If you're just looking for the more comic booky breakdown next uh, next week tomorrow, that's what the, that's the one you want to listen to. But this one, myself and Mark, we spend time. We talk the Hulk as his own worst enemy. So, with that in mind, I thank you very very much for your continued support of all the things we do here on the W2M network. And past me, past Mark, you guys have a lot in front of you. I can only apologize that you turned into me. Past me, <laughs> uh, take it away, and thank you again for listening. Gentlemen, the dulcet sounds of Voltaire mean you're listening to Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. I am your host, the man who loves the dark side, the villainous, Robert Wind. Thank you for joining me. Tonight, we have a special topic. When I first started this podcast series, I knew we were going to discuss monsters. In fact, on the first show, we talked a little bit about that. And for your 
For the record, the first show was part one of the Terminator discussion, which part two will come out at some point. Not sure when, but eventually, at some point in the future. But we discussed monsters because they tend to go hand in hand. Not all monsters are bad guys. Godzilla's saved Tokyo as many times as he destroyed it. The Predator has made heroic appearances, especially in the awful Alien vs. Predator series, as far as the movies go. Different time, different discussion, but they've been around. They they overlap a great deal. And to kick this off, there was only one person I could bring on to talk about what we're, our discussion tonight. We're talking about everyone's favorite big green monster. We're talking Bruce Banner, the Hulk. Yes, Hulk smash. The big guy, the big green rage monster with the purple pants that never fall off. Thankful, no one wants to see that. But I could only bring one man on to discuss the Hulk. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest, this man has a love of the Hulk that is not only unrequited, it is unparalleled. He's been working on a screenplay since he was in diapers. He saw every Hulk movie at least twice, no matter how bad they were. He sat through all of Iron Man 3 for the sole purpose of the Mark Ruffalo cameo at the end of the credits. He hosts the 411 Ground and Pound radio show every Sunday. Mark Radulich, everybody. Dave Batista has gone back to the WWE, and I feel like the only reason he's doing this is so that he can promote Guardians of the Galaxy on WWE television when that finally comes out. Well, hey, he can put Cena over because <laughs> we all know we need some work there. Yeah, that young up-and-comer John Cena, he uh, he needs a rub. Oh, by the way, hello. Hey, Mark. So, you love the Hulk. <laughs> totally threw you off there, didn't I? A little bit. Yes. I have loved the Hulk since I was uh, a little kid. I actually, in my office right now, there are three pictures over my computer. Two of them are from when I think either the Hulk or the Incredible Hulk um, movie came out, and they were giving away these like free comic book cover pictures. So one of them is a Tales to Astonish with uh, Hulk and the Abomination, and then the other one is the Incredible Hulk number one. Um, these are picture frames of the uh, comic book covers, and they are book-ending uh, a picture of um, Clutch on New Year's Eve with High on Fire, which I was at. So, yeah, uh, I had a Hulk towel when I was a kid. I grew up watching the Hulk television show with David Bix- um, Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno. We all love that show. I, uh, ah, poor Lou when asked, you know, if you could be a superhero, who would you be? You know, who would you want to be? And I said, you know, I don't think it's a matter of want. I, I, I would end up turning into the Hulk. That would be me. I would be. I would become a giant green rage monster. Um, but I, I've always felt him and Thor. Those are the two Marvel characters that I had an instant attraction to when I was reading comic books as a kid. And to this day. If I never read another comic book again, those are two. Those would the two. Those two in Batman from the universe. Um, those would be the ones that I would I, I would continue to read. Divorced from everything else. So yeah, I have a I have a big like for the Hulk um, as a monster, as a hero, as a villain, all facets. And boy, if, for a big green rage monster, you don't get much more uh, complex and multifaceted than the Hulk, in my opinion. It's true. He is not just the big green rage monster. Well. He kind of is, but there's so much more that goes on inside the poor head of the big green. All right, since this is Everyone Loves a Bad Guy, and you love talking about the Hulk, the Hulk has not always been the hero. He's not always been the guy to save the day. He's not always thrown Loki around like a ragdoll. He's been a bad guy. He's had some bad moments. The Hulk has leveled planets, cities, everything in between. When the Hulk's a bad guy, what makes that work for you? Because you still have love for the Hulk. He still can be the hero. What about him as a bad guy makes that not only compelling, but 
kind of lets him come back, too, since he's not strictly a bad guy. Well, if you go back to the origins of the Hulk, I mean, I'm sure at this point it's it, it's people know the story. You know, it, it's almost the um, you know, it's the story of Jesus at this point. Everyone knows how, Hulk, how Banner becomes the Hulk. But for the sake of this discussion, uh, Bruce Banner is building a bomb, a gamma bomb. Rick Jones drives onto the test site. Uh, Banner goes to save him, and before he can get into the bunker where Rick Jones, uh, uh, where he's pushed Rick Jones into safety, the bomb goes off and it irradiates him. And then when he becomes angry, he uh, all of this repressed rage comes out, and he becomes a, uh, a a strong monster. Now let's just stop there for a minute. Now imagine Robert, you are General Thunderbolt Ross, and you are in charge <laughs> of creating <laughs> weapons of mass destruction. Okay, you are. In, I'm okay with are, that. Uh, hey, I, I would love to launch chainsaws out of a giant scattergun at people. I'm down. <laughs> okay, so you know Donald Rumsfeld, you know who's the Secretary of Defense, and for the purposes of this discussion, first one I could think of, uh, Donald Rumsfeld says, uh, you know, Robert Winfrey, go and here's a bag of money. Go get a go get a physicist and go build me weapons of mass destruction. And when you finally get to one that's actually going to work, the test goes kaflooey, and you accidentally create a monster. You're not really worried about what, you know, you're not overly sympathetic to the monster's needs <laughs> or trying to solve the problem of this uh, known physicist becoming the monster. All you want to do is kill the monster. And unbeknownst to you, the monster is near invincible, unkillable. Just and dating dynamical. <laughs> well, yeah, and dating your daughter. Yeah, which is oh, never good for Sunday dinners. Um, it's the ultimate guess who's coming to dinner, isn't it? But just think about that for a moment and how that would... That's, I think, what, what, why I, I, this really works for me is you've got this uncontrollable monster running around and you, and you can't just simply kill it because you'll kill the human being inside who you're trying to save. Meanwhile, this thing is destroying everything in sight. And, you know, and look, we are human beings, and while we watch movies with aliens and, and monsters and whatnot, if one actually shows up on your block, you're going to freak out under normal circumstances. Not to mention you have this pressure of being a general in charge of a project, and your failure is running around showing itself in, with big shiny letters and signs that says, I have failed miserably. Look at me, Hulk smash. So It's true. It, that... That's not a good place to be in the dynamic between... Okay, this is part one of two. I believe I mentioned that. The second part, which will be next week at some point, I'll have a different guest, and we'll be discussing the Hulk's rogue gallery. All of the bad guys that have come across, that the Hulk has come across over his long and storied career. The one we do have to talk about here, as was just mentioned by Mr. Rattle, it's the great Thunderbolt. The general himself. Thunderbolt Ross. Patterson, I sometimes forget. His daughter goes by the maiden. He's a general, and he's part of the military-industrial complex, and I have daddy issues. Wham, whammy. Anyway, we do have to talk about Patterson, about Thunderbolt, because his relationship with Bruce Banner and the Hulk is what in large part defines the Hulk and Banner and their various interactions. So It would be again, interesting to see what the Hulk would be if in the early comic books he wasn't being relentlessly pursued by a military who was not interested in talking with him. There was no hearts and minds. It was, it was incapacitate, kill this thing, don't seek to understand it, don't try to cure Banner, just kill, kill, kill. It, you know, and that drives the whole... I mean, and I think that's what makes him... You know, he's Quasimodo in, in this uh, particular dynamic. You know, he's being pursued by angry villagers, essentially, 
And that's ultimately what makes a destructive monster sympathetic in the eyes of the reader and what makes then Thunderbolt Ross unsympathetic and what makes him a villain. But if you look at things at, at its face, it's a general trying to uh, put an end to this monster who's causing havoc. It's only when you start to dig deeper that you see that the roles are really reversed in terms of who is the hero and who, and who is the villain. Yep, definitely. It's very, and I do need to say, we're going to talk about the Hulk movies in a little, the various movies, a second or two here. Well, you know what? Let's just do it now. I had a slightly different timetable lined up, but if we're talking about Thunderbolt, we do have to talk about his portrayal on big and small screen. And since, Mark, you're a huge fan of the television show and the sad walking away music and poor Bill Bigsby and Lou Ferrigno painted green fighting a bear in the river. <laughs> it happened, people. Look it up. <laughs> you know, talk to me about Thunderbolt in the TV series. In many ways, the iconic element that brought the Hulk into popular culture. I mean, every comic book character that has gone from just being a comic book character to being a big phenomenon, a big pop culture reference, everyone knows who it is. You, you had to have something that kind of got behind it and got it going, and I think the television show really helps the Hulk as far as that goes. So talk to me about Thunderbolt as he's portrayed in the television. Um, I don't remember Thunderbolt. If we're talking about the Bill Bixby show, the part of Thunderbolt was actually Mr. McGee, and Mr. McGee was a reporter. It was the same dynamic. It was somebody relentlessly pursuing them for their own uh, for their own means uh, needs. But um, real quick, well, the reporter the, is the much color. less sympathetic, so that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, there was, to my recollection, the uh, the television show departs um, pretty far from the comic book origin. In the in the television show, uh, what ends up happening is that, and this is you know. Just, just as an aside, and when we can come back to this, I don't want to get too far off on a tangent, but I rewatched the pilot episode. It was about an hour long, um, made for TV movie, uh, hour, maybe hour to ninety minutes. And um, I said, you know, if anyone's wondering, Josh Whedon, how to do a Hulk movie and do it right for the big screen, you really do need to go back and look at the pilot episode. The pilot episode, in my opinion, is flawless, despite the fact that it was, you know, that it came out about thirty years ago. To me, it still ages well. It still it still feels right. But it you know it isn't made for television before CGI and all of that. So they part they depart seriously from the actual origin story. In this version, they spend the uh, the first about ten minutes of the movie. Uh, it's there's no dialogue. It's just uh, piano music and a, a sort of a, a white silhouetted um, flashbacks of Banner. And his, I guess, his wife, girlfriend. Uh, let's just, for the purposes of this, say it's his wife. Um, and it shows them in love. It shows his life as just being wonderful. And and you get to know these uh, people in in just dialogueless flashbacks. You know, having breakfast, doing this, da da da. And then for those of us who haven't change. seen it, uh, would that be would that type of sequence be comparable to the opening bit of Up? Yes. If you, exactly if, you, if you haven't seen it and you need something that you can kind of wrap your head around to get where they're coming from, the opening ten minutes of Up. Yes, that is exactly what this is like, and it almost ends the same way. So, um, so you get so there's the sharp. Then there's the sharp change in music, and what happens is there's a car accident, and uh, they go off the road, and um, his wife is then trapped in the car, and the car blows, and Banner is trying to get her out of the car, and his strength fails him. The next thing you see, and this is all going somewhere and important, is you now he's a scientist in this one too, 
and they're uh, doing a study, it's about a year later, they're doing a study on um, how to tap into the body's limitless uh, ability to draw on super strength, and under what conditions will this come about. And he finds the, uh, the relationship uh, causal between gamma radiation and stress. Fast forward. Um, he goes, so he starts to hear all about all these test subjects, and they all have these enormous uh, feats of strength. And he's, you know, a man possessed by the fact that his strength failed him on that day. And so he wants to know under what situations could he have had that strength and saved his wife, his beloved. Fast forward. He um, decides that he's going to irradiate himself with gamma radiation because he thinks that's the key. And unbeknownst to him, the machine has been reconfigured to where he accidentally over-radiates himself by about a factor of about a million, I think. It's some ridiculous amount. Um, then he has absolutely the worst day ever, which ends in a, which ends in a tire being blown out. And he's just, just, everything is just awful at this point. So he goes off he's the road. He's had your day today. Yeah, he's had my day. Um, tire, he goes, the car goes off the road. Uh, tire blows out. He tries to fix the tire, and, and this is where I, I totally sympathize with him because I've been here before. We've actually, my wife calls this um, Donald Duck at the window, which if you've ever seen the Disney cartoon, Daisy says, can you open up the window? He can't get it open, so he destroys the house. Um, yeah, yeah, something. yeah, and the window stays closed and upright. Right. Um, so we call that going Donald at the window. So, so Banner goes Donald at the window on this car. At that point, he turns into the Hulk for the first time. Um, so what ends up happening after, uh, around this and then after that is that there's this nosy reporter, Jack McGee, which gave, which gave rise to the infamous, don't make, Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry line, which is now famous. Um, it has been parodied a number of ways. Yes. So McGee is but, the one playing the role of Thunderbolt Ross, really. He is the one relentlessly pursuing Banner and the Hulk because this is it. This is his big story. We, we, the man just – this mad scientist created a Hyde character, and this reporter wants the goods, and uh, Banner won't give it to him. And that sets the whole series in me because at the end of it, I think he ends up accidentally killing his partner by the end of this thing. Um, and then he goes into hiding, and the reporter is pursuing him. And so every episode, you know, he's got a new he's got a new alias, and he helps a family, and the reporter is looking for him, and that's all. However many scenes of the Hulk. It's yeah, okay. So I do want to talk a little bit about the Hulk being the bad guy. And again, you know, it's not entirely his fault because. When you become uncontrollably angry, I mean, we've all blown up and done something stupid. I can't think of anyone who hasn't. And if you, and if when you blow up, you can almost literally blow up. I mean, at, at some po at points, he is able to generate exponential kinetic wave energies from his body that can destroy planets. <laughs> and you, not joking, not joking. Hulk, Worldbreaker, various forms of the Hulk. Another interesting discussion. But when you go nuts and you know you punch a hole in the wall. In the case of the Hulk, he goes nuts, he stays nuts, and he wrecks cities. It's difficult not to at least understand where that's coming from, but he's not been... And he gets used, and there is some, there is some sentience within the Hulk. He's not a blind rage monster 90% of the time. But he has... There are times when you look at what the Hulk is doing or has done, and, you know, it, it's too much. He's not sympathetic at, in this moment in time. He's become the bad guy. He's become... How do we take this down? And everyone understands why we have to take him down. What memory, specifically, what comes to your mind if I say, 
tell me something about the Hulk in a specific you know, movie, elev- television series episode, comic book. When's the Hulk a bad guy? Give me an example. I can give you a few. In the earliest portrayals of the Hulk, um, the Savage Hulk, as he becomes known, there's... Not Mr. Um, Fix-It. We're not talking about Mr. Fix-It. <laughs> no, we're not talking about Mr. Fix-It. Uh, the Savage Hulk. There's still um, a shadow of Banner uh, keeping him completely from the abyss, which is important because the Hulk in a villain role is divorced from Banner. So I'll get there in a moment. But Hulk in his earliest portrayals is uh, is a lonely character. I mean, what he says, his his motivation is to be left alone. So he's this monster being pursued by the U.S. Army, and all he wants is to be left alone. That's what he says over and over and over again. Just Hulk just wants to be... Um, and that it, it's it's sometimes it's a little bit hard then to sort of imagine that that that's not a hero really you know that that that's exactly what it's supposed to be it's a monster. Um, later on, there are a couple of I think Hulk is at his most villainous when two things are one of two things are happening. One, as I said before, Banner is completely divorced from the being and he is just a rage monster. So when it, two, there are two examples of the two really really good ones. Uh, there's an animated movie called Hulk versus Thor in which the Enchantress and Loki bring uh, Banner to Asgard and remove Banner, and he go- and Banner actually goes to hell, though he doesn't know he's in hell. And the Hulk is now left without a leash, without a mental leash. There's no Banner there to bring him back, at which point he is set loose upon Asgard and nearly wrecks the place. So imagine a now, being Loki so powerful... Loki tries to control him for a little bit, but yeah, Loki and, and does not have the it. mental acuity to... Restrain the Hulk, and whenever he tries to, t- and I believe he tries to stop the Hulk from killing Thor or from wrecking, or from killing Odin, I believe. I, and the Hulk basically it slaps him out of his mind. Well, th- th- that's the thing is they they think that they can control the beast, and the beast is uncontrollable. And so what you've created is a situation where this infinitely strong monster, beset on destroying everything in its path, is let loose in your home. So, you know, Hulk is running around destroying Asgard, and Thor even says, like, you've set upon us another Ragnarok. Um, and so the rest of the movie is, is Loki and Thor trying to reverse things and get Banner and the Hulk back in the box again. Um, <laughs> Banner back in the Hulk, the Hulk back in the box. But there's a really, really good example of where the Hulk is used as a villain, when, um, when he can be the most destructive force known to man. Uh, another example of this ends with him being shipped off to another planet, and that is the prelude to um, the Planet Hulk series, which ran simultaneously against Marvel Civil War. Because I'm telling you right now, and this was smart thinking on the part of uh, the people at Marvel and the writers, had they included Hulk in the Civil War storyline, there's no way they could have pulled that off. Um, but getting back to my point, they, uh, the Hulk, something happens where the Hulk is working for S.H.I.E.L.D., and um, he ends up being, something blows up, and he ends up not being Banner for a little bit there, at which point he wrecks Vegas. And after destroying Vegas in a, in, in a world that is getting tired of super beings wrecking their homes, uh, Doctor Strange, Reed Richards, and Iron Man ship him to another planet. The Illuminati, <laughs> they get together. It's a great way to deal with your problems. Ship them to another planet. Just get them out of here. It's exactly what you England know, did with uh, the criminals. It's not the dumbest idea in the world. I was going to say, it's an, it's an idea as old as time. This is how Georgia came to be. Georgia was a prison colony for England, and they, they sent their criminals to, uh, to Georgia, and then it became um, the Peach State. So there you go. Hey, Australia, too. They shipped a bunch of criminals oh. to Australia, and now we have the Aussies and the Kiwis. And the mighty Mark, and Mark Hunt, Hunt from New Zealand. <laughs> That's right, and James the Tuna. 
Um, but yeah, but uh, I guess that, that that that's my best answer to your question is when you can when you just use the Hulk as a destructive um, mechanism, and I think is when he's at his most villainous. The problem is is you can only do that so many times because it's not like the Hulk is a great pl- he's not Lex Luthor or Doctor Doom. He's not a great plotter of evil deeds. He has no he has no motivation to take over the world. He just wants to wreck everything in front of him. And, uh, yeah, that actually plays well in the Planet Hulk storyline where they try to turn him into a gladiator and he just doesn't care. And then you aggravate him a little bit more because you control the Hulk and he smashes everything, rules the world, wants to come back to Earth. And the Planet Hulk series leads us into one of the ones that I do want to talk about. With Banner still being in the Hulk, he's still, and he is villainous, I do want to talk a little bit about World War Hulk. Because Hulk brings his warbound group, which consists of, I think, four other people, maybe five. I'm not up to date on all of the comics. He comes back from his planet where he had a wife, he had two kids, he ruled the planet benevolently. Bruce Banner was happily ensconced within the mind of the Hulk. The Hulk is happy because no one's after him anymore. He comes back to Earth after the the ship that sent him away blew up, killed his wife. Now he's pissed again. As he's the Hulk, he has to be mad. He returns to Earth and declares war on the planet, which anyone else says that, you kind of laugh. The Hulk says it, and we're in trouble. Yep. I mean, just think about that. You know, you've been pursued for for your whole life, essentially. You're an outcast. You're, You're completely incompatible with the world around you, such to the point that people have elected to send you to another planet. And then you finally find a place of belonging. You create a family. For once in your entire existence, you feel human. You are able to um, attain the American dream, essentially, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and then a ship blows up and takes it all away from you. What cruel irony. What, what, what a cruel joke. I mean, so he didn't just get mad and declare war. I mean, he, he had the it's brass Shakespearean, ring. It, that's a tragedy of, like, Shakespearean proportion. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, he finally Especially when it turns out that Meek was the one hand. who rigged it to blow. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's a whole other story. But that's but that's a critical element there is that he thinks that he not only is aggravated that they shipped him off the planet to begin with, but he's made the best out of a bad situation. Now he thinks they were trying to murder him to start with. No, they weren't. Uh, he's betrayed by one of the warbound. But at the time, he's thinking, you fuckers not only kick me off the planet, but then you try to murder me? That's it. You're dead. And even at that, he you know he's a benevolent villain. He tells, you know, he it's tells, true. Uh, he's not, he's not Lex Luthor in it for money or to rule the world. He's not Galacticus who just consumes whole dimensions. He's not, and I'm, I'm crossing, you know, I'm crossing not, I'm crossing between Marvel and DC here, so I apologize to the purists. But he's not Darkseid. He's not Thanos. You know, he's not this malevolent force. You see where he's coming from, and that in some ways makes him more compelling as a villain because you can kind of, you can almost side with him. By and large, it's a revenge tale. It's I have had enough. It's you know, and I and I want you pointing squarely at Doctor Strange, Reed Richards, and Iron Man to the point where he says, "Look, I'm not interested in hurting other people. Get them out of here quickly, because I'm coming." And you know, my, my fight is with you people. And he wrecks Manhattan in the process. And then he finds you know, and then even at the end, you know, he's he's saved by the fact that he turns himself in once he realizes he's fighting the wrong people. When he realizes that he's been betrayed by the warbound, he and he and he allows them to. Um, 
infinitely more compelling than, say, Khan in Into Darkness, who gives up for who the, whole, who the hell knows what reason and whatever convoluted plot line they were trying to get across in that movie. Okay, fair enough. Don't, don't be knocking Khan. Don't be knocking Khan too much. Benedict Cumberbatch, fine actor. Uh, who said anything about the actor? That was a I know, I know. Horrible, the writing there. <laughs> but, yeah, he set up the gladiatorial arenas and has you know, Reed Richards, Doctor Strange, and Tony Stark fight to the death. Right. Basically, is was that whole thing, and then he fights the Sentry. Who, by the way, side note: if we, I do at some point, if I ever want to go into this purely from comic book villains, I do have to do. I have to find someone who will talk Sentry with me because I enjoy that. I enjoyed that character a great deal. But again, not that, that's different than here and now. Here and now, we're talking Hulk. So specifically, since we're talking about, we've talked about the Hulk a little bit. We talked about him as the bad guy, him as the sympathetic guy. All right, we're, it's time, I think, we talk about the movie. Let's go to the big screen here. We've talked small screen. We've talked comics. Talk to me about Hulk. Ang Lee's Freudian interpretation, Eric Bana playing Bruce Banner, the great, and I mean great, and his name just slipped my mind. So <laughs> Nolte? The great. Nick what? Nolte we're talking about? Nick Nolte? No, oh, not Nick Nolte. Um, Sam Elliott playing Thunderbolt Ross. The great yes. Sam Elliott. Love Sam Elliott. I will not tolerate negative things said about him in my presence. It ends badly for people. Sam Elliott, Bradley Cooper's in there, I think. It's Bradley Cooper or Josh. It's Josh Lucas, now that I think about it. Plays someone who dies. Josh Lucas dying <laughs> is a plus. Uh, Jennifer Connelly is Betty is the love interest. Nick Nolte is the very odd version of the Absorbing Man and Spanner's father. Talk about Hulk a little bit. How'd that whole movie play for you? What did you think about uh, Nolte as the bad guy, Sam Elliott as the pseudo-bad guy. Let's just talk Hulk for a minute as far as Ang Lee's version. Ang Lee's interpretation of the Hulk was almost dead on. Unfortunately, it also suffers from being a bit abstract, especially at the end. Um, you, change a, you, you tweak a few things in that script, and you, and you add Doc Samson, and you actually have probably the best on-screen interpretation of the Hulk in all of its complexities. If I can direct us back to the comic book for one moment, probably one of the most compelling storylines in the Hulk is right before he becomes the professor character. Uh, so for people who don't know, you have the Savage Hulk. At some point or other in the, in the, in the Hulk storyline, he reverts to being gray again, develops a, develops a different consciousness that he refers to as Joe Fix-It, um, and then there's Banner. Uh, and then they start getting into ba uh, Banner's childhood, and he's got all of these repressed memories of uh, physical abuse and domestic violence, and that's sort of the genesis of the Savage Hulk. Uh, it's great stuff. It's great stuff. Maybe it's a little heavy for people who are just wanting to watch a Monster Smash shit. Um, but, you know, in defense, of, in defense of all of that, Godzilla was a movie where a monster ran around smashing shit, and people hated it. Now, they hated it for a variety of reasons. Um, Transformers is a movie where monsters run around smashing shit, and it, they hate it for a variety of reasons. But there's something to be said for a fun movie like that. It, it takes a steady hand and delicate balance to be able to have uh, a monster running around smashing shit, but also present all of the uh, complexities that make it interesting and meaningful. And I don't know if anyone in Hollywood's actually that capable or that talented, but I digress. Um, like you said, Ang Lee, you know, when I first saw this, people were complaining about it, and I saw it. And, you know, to me, when you have something like the Hulk, when you have something that is driven by rage, you need, you know, 
from our understanding of the human psyche, I mean, you work in that field professionally. Newsflash, he doesn't get paid for what he does here on the ground and pound and with the rattles broadcasting. He should be. He's not. Someone pay this man for that stuff. But you need something. You know, you know anger is a finite thing kind of inherently to a, well, a mentally well-balanced human being. You need something traumatic like that that can tap into and create this exponential, infinite amount of rage that fuels the Hulk and creates his indestructibility and his you know, ability to destroy planets, smash giant airworms from another dimension with a single blow, go blow for blow with Thor. You know, I have to imagine that a lot of people presented you know, in that same situation where if I get mad, I turn into the Hulk. It doesn't last very long. I mean, we talk, you know, I talked a little bit about, you know, you lose your temper, you punch a hole in the wall. Maybe if you lose your temper, you turn into the Hulk, you knock down a small building, you turn back. You know, no, there's something seriously, deeply wrong in the mind of Bruce Banner that contributes to creating something that is so powerful it can wipe out a planet. In, in psychological terms, it's not healthy for any human being to be at rage all of the time. You won't ever have time to, you won't have time to sleep and you'll die. So you're absolutely right about that. It isn't natural for someone to just be an angry monster all of the time. And when you if you if you ask those kinds of questions and you bring those elements into screenplay, that's got that's compelling stuff. So why is Banner angry? You know, uh, the, one of the most fascinating things about the Marvel superheroes is that their superpowers were all connected to something about their psyche. The Fantastic Four was actually brilliant in doing this. It was every one of their, uh, uh, when they were irradiated from whatever thing happened to them in the spaceship, um, they all became an extension of their personalities in some, uh, in some way, shape, or form. You know, Johnny Storm the hothead, things like that. He becomes the human torch. So... What's great about the Hulk is that they established that in the comic books that Banner has all of this repressed rage from having experienced domestic violence as a child and other things that have happened to him. And so you combine that with the, uh, with the gamma explosion, and that causes the Hulk. Now, if Banner grew up perfectly uh, well-adjusted, functional, and he gets irradiated with radiation, maybe he becomes something else. That's, to me, the brilliant thing about all of it. So, well, in that particular movie, we they touch on that a little bit later when Nick Nolte, solid actor, the way they wrote his character was awkward, to say the least, I think. Yeah. But Nick Nolte, playing Bruce Banner's father, irradiates himself and becomes a very twisted version of the Absorbing Man instead of the Hulk. And that's but, where, I was, where and, I was going with this. But as an extension of his personality, he I see where you're going with this, and I agree, he's a scientist, he wants to become more than he is, and especially later in life after he's been arrested and lives on the street with dogs. So he gains the ability to absorb things, literally, and become them, and that becomes a bit odd and abstract in a lot of ways, but it makes sense in that it, it is, again, extended from his personality. The problem with Anglation of the Hulk is two things. One was pacing. If, you, if it takes a half an hour to 45 minutes before the Green Monster even shows up, that first fight scene better up knock your pants off. You better get like, you know, it better be the Hulk versus the thing. You know what I mean? It better be the Hulk versus the Abomination. The Hulk versus Wolverine. The Hulk versus 
uh, the or Beta Ray Bill or yeah, Galacticus. You, you, you know, I mean, you can go places, and instead you get him rolling around in the street with three souped-up dogs. Yeah, and I was like, that's gay. Okay, I mean, I understand people's frustration with that. I remember being, I was at a, I was with a friend of mine, uh, a good friend of mine, when we saw that in the theaters back in New York, and we both looked at each other like, seriously, round one is dogs? Come on. What is it, a video game? Get the fuck out of here. That's, I, and, that, and that to me sums up everything that went wrong with the Ang Lee movie, um, up till the end where you get to the the abstract absorbing man, absorbing the, the sea scene. Um Trying to absorb the whole finger. I did like that he was sitting there and, okay, I'm going to absorb all of your power because you can't stop me because I absorb things I touch. And Hulk says, okay, fine, try. And Nick Nolte's disembodied voice going, no, it's too much before the gamma bomb hit. Yeah, I, I think it's a lot to ask of an audience to get themselves out of, this is supposed to be a fun popcorn summer blockbuster, into, oh, I really have to really think about this. This is some sort of like weird abstract... Um, like psychological, kind of thing. yeah, it, yeah. It's, like, it's a bit come on, this isn't this isn't the sixth sense, okay? <laughs> let's let, let, let's let's let's. Well, okay, what was the one with um? Uh, she's a Britney something or other who's dead. It was a psychological movie. Oh, but I it, it, it ain't tell bad. you off the top of my head, but yeah, I know. Yeah, especially with that, especially with that vivid description, right? Um, <laughs> but you know, my my point is, if you're going to, this suffered from. The, the writers and, and Angley as a director not deciding, not, not figuring out what it is that they were trying to do. It was like half summer popcorn, fun eating, you know, blockbuster, half psychological film, and unfortunately, what it really became was a big train wreck. They tried. Well, speaking of, if we're going to talk about, you know, popcorn flick, watch monster blow stuff up. The follow-up that picks up more or less where this one left off is The Incredible Hulk. Everyone's recast. You know, I have Liv Tyler as. Betty Ross, you have Edward Norton as Bruce Banner, you have, uh, they, I, I maintain they should have brought back Sam Elliott because William Hurt, who pay, takes over the role of Thunderbolt Ross, fine actor, very talented, earned his Oscar, great guy, I I don't think you could get a better Thunderbolt than Sam Elliott, and I think, you know, again, William Hurt, again, a great actor, I don't think, it's like whoever they're going to get to replace J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson when they eventually bring that character into the new Spider-Man reap. It's, you know, you cast the perfect guy the first time, and because you want to avoid being associated with the other films, you're going to cast someone else, and it's not going to be. And you have um, Tim Roth, another fine actor, as what becomes the abomination. So, The Incredible Hulk, reworked, recast, totally different movie, presented very differently. How'd that one play for you? How was The Abomination as the villain instead of a pseudo-absorbing man and Josh Lucas as generic douchebag number 37? Okay. So let us assume for a moment that I'm asked to write and direct this movie, and I've never picked. And I'm Tim Burton. I've never picked up a comic book in my life, right? Oh, please don't be Tim that's, Burton. Well, that's what this. Then I'll have to mute like. you and find you and abuse you like something <laughs> sharp. The point that I'm getting at is, I hate these directors who are given comic book movies, and they're like, "Yeah, I fuck comic books. I've never, I've never read a comic book in my life, and I'm going to put my own stink on this thing." Good. You absolutely then don't understand the character. That was the biggest problem with The Incredible Hulk. If I know nothing about The Hulk, and I'm just like, here, watch this movie, it's fine, I guess. It's a little flat. It's a, it's a little shallow, um, a little empty. But, I mean, in, in terms of sort of a fun action movie where, at the end, monsters fight one another, it's fine. Tim Roth absolutely saves that movie. His performance is fucking amazing. You know, I love his line when, he, when you know, it's like, what, what does he have? I, I want that. Like he's ordering dinner. 
<laughs> it's Tim, true. Tim Roth, you could give him like a recipe, like a cookbook, and just have him read re- uh, ingredients in the cookbook, and he'll deliver it like awesome. Mr. Orange, love him. Um, so yeah, Tim Tim Roth is great in this movie. But that's it. That's all it is. It's it's somebody who doesn't really understand the complex nature of the Hulk and just sees uh, angry rage monster running from the military and he fights other monsters. Okay, that's, it, it is, you can't I, see I it because it's be shrugging. I actually didn't even care much for the visual way the Hulk looked in this movie. I thought the way he was presented on screen was better in Hulk as opposed to this version. And I have a hard time pinpointing why. This one looks a lot more like it was hand-drawn, I think. The action sequences with the Hulk were not, I felt, shot or put together very well. And I'm going to say something... I'm going to say something, Robert, that is very controversial. Go for it. Because because people look at Lou Ferrigno, Lou Ferrigno's um, interpretation of the Hulk, who is who's doing a better impression of Hulk Hogan than he is the Incredible Hulk. But I digress. Because of the subtext of the television show and Bill Bixby's performance as Bruce Banner, Lou Ferrigno's performance of the Hulk is the best of anything I've ever seen on screen, not being a cartoon. What people don't seem to understand is you could give me the best special effects, the best CGI, the, whatever you want to do, the best um, visual of the Hulk, it nothing without subtext. That is the biggest problem I have with The Incredible Hulk. It was a lot of sizzle and no stick. So is that, do you think, why a lot of, why perhaps the version of the Hulk done by Mark Ruffalo, three Hulk movie, three Hulk appearances in movies, three different actors, folks, no one can seem to get this right, apparently, until Mark Ruffalo. But is that why you think the Mark Ruffalo version of Bruce Banner lended itself to creating a more invested version of the big green monster in the Avengers? Oh, 100%. Mark, Mark Ruffalo is the only person since Bill Bixby to nail the fucking character. Because the Hulk isn't a character. <laughs> you know, the Hulk is a it, device. It's true. It's true. The, the Hulk is a plot device. Banner. I said this about Batman. Um, you know, it doesn't really matter who you stick in the cowl. It matters who plays Bruce Wayne. If you don't get Bruce... This is why Michael Keaton's the best, one of the best Batmans. If you don't get Bruce Wayne right, you won't get Batman right. Because you could have stuck Ray Park in the cowl. Okay, this is why I always love about like, the dark ball thing. You know, it's like, hey, we don't actually they want should. to actually want. <laughs> they should put Ray Park in the in the cowl for. It, there needs to be like a web series now. Someone send Ray Park a replica of any version of the of the newest. Oh, let's go with the newest. Let's go with one of the Nolan Batman costumes and let him beat the crap out of people. That will sell. Yeah, <laughs> certainly the recent uh, iterations of Batman in, in the Justice League movies or video games. You know, just stick him in Batman battle armor and let him go fight stuff. Um, but if yeah, if you don't get Bruce Wayne right, you fail to you will fail to get Batman right. Batman is a device, not a character. The Hulk more so because at least you know Batman has to like talk and um, the Hulk not so much. So that so Mark Ruffalo actually gets the one of the most powerful scenes to me in the Avengers is when uh, Ruffalo becomes the Hulk in the movie for the first time and he's chasing the Black Widow, and it's and it works for me because. They've now pushed Mark Ruffalo beyond the point of being able to control him. Banner, call by his character name. They've now pushed Banner to the point where he can't control himself anymore. And while he doesn't really want to hurt Black Widow, he's angry and he's just you know, and he can't take the blinders off. And you know, and he and, he's, and it's a simple character at this point. The Hulk is simple in this in this respect. The Black Widow yes, hurt it, me. I need to hurt the Black Widow. And thank heavens that Thor came along and distracted him. Yeah. 
but that but that's what I'm saying. You in Whedon's defense, if you don't understand if you don't understand the Banner Hulk relationship and all you and all and that's all you think of the Hulk is scenes like that or him punching Thor at the end, sucker punching him. Sure, I can see why you would say we can't do a Hulk, a full length Hulk movie anymore. The Hulk is tricky, tricky. It's tricky. Yes. Rock a rhyme to rock a rhyme. It's right on time. It's tricky. Yes, tricky. It's only out of all the adjectives only, he could have chosen. <laughs> it's only tricky if you're an idiot who doesn't understand your meaning. Now, if you got if you understand the Hulk, if you understand that the, that in order for a Hulk movie to work, you must focus on Banner and and intercut uh, scenes of Banner dealing with his uh, complex psychological issues with the Hulk smashing bad guys. Then they, you know, then you have a Hulk movie. If you don't understand that, then yeah, sure, I can understand why they don't want to do it anymore. Well, at the same time, I think one of the problems with the Hulk is, as you pointed out with Ang Lee's version, it's difficult to, from a studio perspective, I suppose you want to put it, it's difficult to market. And I would hate to see, okay, we, we are, uh, you and I happen to be in agreement when we talk about the Batman franchise, that Batman Forever and Batman and Robin suffer from, among other things, and there are other things, studio involvement. Yep. And with the Hulk, I, I hesitate to I, okay, I don't hesitate. I shudder to think what a studio-involved movie would wind up looking like because I imagine it would be worse than Incredible Hulk, the Edward Norton version. Not because you know uh, Marvel is at this point you know a multi-billion-dollar movie franchise that spans a couple of different properties. You have they have Iron Man, they have Thor, they have Captain America. I don't know that Marvel could keep their hands out of a Hulk movie, and I don't know that you could market it properly. Because you know, most of the time, like you said, people go into that thinking, I'm going to watch a big green rage monster smash things, when that doesn't work. I mean, it it doesn't even work. I don't even think it would work from a box office return perspective in that you know Transformers are nothing but watch stuff blow up, but they make money. I don't even think that Hulk in that case would necessarily make money. I think it's all in. I think, I think initially this it would be a slow burn. I don't know because 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 uh, as you're saying, the Hulk's already got some shit on him. You know, two movies that um, would have that people came in droves and then they were disappointed. So you would have to almost rebrand and rebuild this particular property. So if I'm a studio executive and I'm you know and I'm given the uh, dubious honor of having to reboot the not reboot that that's the wrong term um, rebuild the Hulk property so that it can be a star in standalone movies that does Iron Man numbers. Um, the very the first one's gonna be a little difficult because you you have to get past all of these negative memories of the thing. Obviously, M- Mark Ruffalo now has a huge following as Banner and the Hulk, so I think people would be interested in seeing him run a full movie. So you're off on a good foot there, but if you if you if focus on as I was saying before the idea that the Savage Hulk, the Gray Hulk, and Banner are three different distinct um, personalities, you throw in Doc Samson, uh, a couple of bad guys, and at the end of it you get the Professor, and then you link it to the the most recent comic book iteration of the Hulk, which is the Indestructible Hulk, where he's an agent of Shield. Now you've got something, you know, and you don't even and and, and you can and if you do that and you can do Planet Hulk and World War Hulk later on as standalone and as an Avengers movie. You don't even have to do it right away. Because if you can get Hulk to the point where he's the professor 
this is the pro- professor character that for a while was leading the pantheon, then now you don't have to worry about. Now he's not a big green rage monster anymore. Now he's colossus. You know, he's you know he's you know big giant green strong uh, super intelligent. It's the Hulk with Banner's brain without all of the rage. Okay, if you can't, if you're, t- if I, if I tell you that that's your character, here, here's a, here's a character strong as, uh, it's fucking Superman, only he's green and doesn't wear a cape. <laughs> you're telling me that we, we, we've got 97 versions of fucking Superman out there. If I tell you, I just created you, your very own Superman for the Marvel Universe, and you tell me you can't do anything with that, go fuck yourself. Uh, fair enough. Although, to be fair, Superman has been, can be very difficult to portray on film as well. Let's, let's be fair. Superman three and four. There's a reason the French and return. Superman. Hey, 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 hey! Wait a minute! Don't you disparage Superman three? That had Richard Pryor in it. Okay, fair enough. It did have <laughs> Richard Pryor, and you know, I'll, I'll be fair. The interactions between Richard Pryor and Superman when they happen are the highlight of that movie. Oh, what absolutely. bothers me about what bothers me about that movie is, well, and I'm forgive me for not remembering the actress who plays. Lois Lane in the first two movies. I'm sure you know. Oh, but God. She, I okay. But she said some negative things about the director, or there were some issues with Superman 2, and Gene Hackman said a couple of things that were less than complimentary. So the director for 3 said, well, screw them. I can make a Superman movie without Lois Lane or Lex Luthor. And we get Lex Luthor with hair, basically, and Lana Lang, who is... Uh, Portrayed by Annette O'Toole, who is Clark's childhood sweetheart. So we bas- he basically said, screw these characters. I can, pr- I can put anybody in that same type of role, and it'll still be a Superman movie, and you'll still go see it. When, in reality, the only good parts about Superman 3 were... Okay, most of them involve Richard Pryor. Personally, his drunken hacking of the... Of the uh, <laughs> I still do that. I still do that impression. I actually refer to shit as the Philly Flash. I don't even yes. know what. He... <laughs> yes. I, 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 I get a kick out of that. I get a kick out of that too because he's sitting there and he's drunk and he's this unintentional computer prodigy. But he can't. The the two cards that he has to put in are too far apart for him to reach. They have to go in at the same time. Yes. And First poor of drunk all, Rich. The, the best, most well acted scene of that movie is him interacting with computer. It's that, and my other, the other part of that movie that I enjoy is, and I think you're not, I think there's something wrong with you if you don't enjoy this, is um, Clark fighting Superman in the... Yes. Because the way that went, you know, good, wholesome, mild-mannered, upstanding Clark Kent fights, off-kilter, douchebag, I get drunk and I break stuff because I'm drunk, Superman. And God bless Christopher Reeve for being able to act those two very separate personalities, convincingly, and in the same role as himself, basically. And I, we're getting way off topic here, because we started with Marvel and the Hulk, and we're now discussing Superman. Yeah, and, and I got a whole podcast dedicated to that. But the point that I was getting at, by the way, the answer was Margot Kidder. Um, there we go. But the point that I was getting at is, if I hand you uh, basically Marvel's version of Superman, and then you tell me you can't make a decent movie out of this, four or five different deep movies out of this, then... Then quit the movie business. You know, there's no excuse for it. And I think, um, without putting the particular person on blast, um, but I had, you know, I, I had gotten really angry that Josh Whedon had said publicly we can't do another Hulk movie because he's a tricky character. And I was throwing all these ideas out there on Facebook about it, and you know, and then some some people were like, well, no, it, it is tricky, and here's why, and you know, and just going going back and forth. And this movie was not successful, and that movie was, and blah blah blah. But the point that I was getting to was. 
there are a couple of ways you can pull Hulk out of this out of this area where everyone seems to be convinced he can't get out of, and I just told you how to do it. Do a movie where he becomes the professor. Because once he's the professor, you can go in all kinds of directions, and then you can have a lot of fun bringing him back to being savage. Planet Hulk, World War Hulk, Hulk versus Loki, all kinds of things. I'm sorry, Hulk versus... You know, I personally, I would kill to see Mark Ruffalo and Hugh Jackman square off. I mean, because Wolverine's another indestructible character. He and the Hulk could fight for eternity. I mean, and and look, you've got Wolverine standalone movies coming out, and you know, God bless Hugh Jackman because he does Logan so perfectly. The issues with those movies are not are very are, have nothing to do with Hugh Jackman and his interpretation of Wolverine. But if you want to do a standalone Hulk movie, you know, and even if you, Okay, let's just say you want to make a Michael Bay movie, a popcorn movie where stuff blows up. Bruce Banner, he's living with Tony Stark in Stark Tower now, apparently. He goes, you know, he's investigating ways, maybe even to reverse his condition because he doesn't like it. I mean, let's face it, no one would like to be Bruce Banner. I mean, we all, you know, the Hulk's great, and he's a fun movie device, and and the whole thing is a great character, but if you have to live as Bruce Banner, no one wants to live as Bruce Banner. I mean, let me uh, let me interject here because I, I can use fifty it. words or less. All right. Any one of the de- any one of the devices that I, I talked about before, where basically you, you divorce Banner from the Hulk, is your um, your ten to tw- your ten to thirty page in Act One uh, culmination. Something's got to happen that divorces Banner from the Hulk, and now the Hulk is running wild. Um, and then the next part of your movie is trying to get Banner back in the box again. And then when you do that. Um, you know, you take the time to, you know, to explore what's going on in Banner's mind and why he would not want to get, you know, why he doesn't want to get back inside the Hulk and, you know, all of that stuff, all the stuff that we talked about before, all of the things that they talked about in the comic book that led to the creation of the professor. So, you know, part one is uh, some person somewhere, something um, you want, if you wanted to, if you, if you're so convinced that the Hulk by himself can't be in his own movie, then do the Thor thing, you know. Do Hulk versus Thor as your next Hulk movie, and let him go destroy Asgard. Because when it's over, you can differentiate yourself a little bit from the uh, culmination of that movie, which was Thor and Loki go get Banner out of Hell, uh, and, you know, and put him back in the thing. You know, there's ways that you can get back there. But that there's your movie. You know, Loki. Well, I was going to say, uh, if you want to do that, if you want to do that same type of thing, you can have. And I, there's a lot of different ways you can do it, but you come up with a way to separate Banner from the Hulk. Hulk goes on a rampage, and in order to try and rectify this, we get Professor X, who is one of the most powerful telepathic beings there is, Wait, who for stop. some reason they killed in X Men: The Last Stand. Not Professor X, Doctor Strange. Why not? This is your opportunity to get Doctor Strange in the V. Okay, yeah, you. Okay, that would work. I was going to say Professor X because. He could then send Wolverine to go subdue the rampaging Hulk, and we could get Wolverine and Hulk fighting across landscapes for, you know, you need an action break while you get Doctor Strange or Professor X goes inside the mind of Bruce Banner. You can intersperse Hugh Jackman as Wolverine fighting big CGI'd Hulk, and and that would break up the action sequences and the, you know, psychological looking into things because, or, you know, Doctor Strange could call Wolverine. I mean, I'm just saying... There's a couple of guys who could fight the Hulk and be believable and create big explosions, for want of a better phrase. And it's it's an absolute shame that Fox and Marvel are so divorced from each other because Wolverine versus Hulk, you know, 
if you need a just a cheap, you know, a cheap, so to speak, summer blockbuster, have those two go at it. Mm-hmm. Again, and if you want to use an established uh, character within the Avengers universe, do the do the one with Thor. At least then you've got a you know cartoon movie script to go off of. There's a couple of iterations of this that you could do. You could, like I said, you could bring in Doctor Strange. You could introduce Doc Samson, who was actually responsible for the merging of all the personalities. There, there's a way to do it. Um, there's other characters that are established that they could bring in, but that's that's your basic thing. Hulk is divorced from Banner. Hulk goes on a rampage. They spend the rest of the movie trying to get Banner back in the box. And finally, voila, Hulk agent of BAM. Now you're ready. And, you know, since we're talking about uh, Thor versus Hulk, which is on Netflix, it's paired with Hulk versus Wolverine, by the way. If anyone has Netflix, you should. But the, at the end of that movie, they do, because Bruce Banner does not want to go back to being with the Hulk in that movie. There's a big point of contention there because right. he's no, right, I'm happy. That's why I wanted but that's why I'm I wanted dead. Did you ever see? <laughs> Hang on, did you ever see I, Star Trek Generation? I'm dead and I'm happy. You know, leave me alone. <laughs> I, Don't pull me. But that, that's where I was going with this. Did you, have you ever seen Star Trek Generation? Yes. Okay, fucking Kirk. Same deal. He's in the Nexus, and I don't mean the thing with the, the shitty uh, wrestling plotline. Um, he's in the, the Nexus, you know, whereas uh, Guinan says he's wrapped up in a warm blanket of love and contentness, and he doesn't want to leave. Picard's like, come, uh, you're the only man in the universe who can help me take down uh, the dude with the ray gun. <laughs> Ian McDowell. Thank you. It's Ian um, McDowell that acts it, so we'll call it Ian McDowell. Ian, yeah, you're the only man in the universe I can, I can get. That is not get his last name, now that I think about it. I don't know. I liked, my, I liked old, old British guy with a ray gun. Um, there we go. And a scar. But Gotta have the scar. It's a con- it, it's a convoluted movie, and I'm not by any stretch saying Generations was a good movie, but they spent an enormous amount of time in that movie dealing with Kirk and his whole thing about after years of uh, flying a starship around the galaxy and fighting Klingons and Khan and all these people, I have finally found happiness, and you want to take it away from me by sending me on one last ride? Get the fuck out of here. That will probably kill you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that will probably kill you, and and, oh my, it does. Well, there's your Hulk movie, and you'll have a better payoff because it won't be two old dudes fighting Ian, whoever your name is, with a ray gun. You'll, you know, you'll finally have a, you know, a fully functional, brilliant thinking uh, Hulk that can destroy stuff. It'll be awesome. Is anyone from Marvel listening? Sorry. Probably not, but hey, we can hope. But I was going to say the point about the end of that one is they finally get them back together. Bruce reluctantly agrees to be put back within the Hulk or the other way around, depending on who's pitching and who's catching, so to speak. Yeah. But you, then they send the Hulk and Banner back to Earth, and everyone in Asgard recognizes, is able to recognize the monumental sacrifice that that is. And, I mean, that's not lost on them. They hold a feast, and they all toast Banner because he's the one who saved them, and poor Banner's back on Earth doing the sad walking away thing with the piano music because he's back on Earth and everyone wants to kill him. Yep. I mean, like I said, we've now discussed any number of ways that, uh, they could do a Hulk movie. It's not that hard. It's you know, if you and I could figure this out, you know, with very little you know pre-chat on a, on a podcast, I don't understand why professionals in Hollywood can't get it together. Hey, we could have saved the free. We could have saved the Scream franchise too, but no, no one listens to us. Uh, paranormal Activity, Scream. I told my wife, I said there are there are really only if I could, uh, you know, if a genie pops out of a bottle and says. 
I'm going to grant you one wish, and the one wish is to have the career of your choice. It's going to be one of two things, talk radio host or consultant for movies. Like, I don't, like, I don't think I have the technical expertise to direct, and, um, you know, at 37 years old, I'm not going back to Hollywood to try to work my way up to be an executive within a studio. So I, I just want to, you know, and, and I don't want to be a screenwriter. Um, but, you know, bring me in as a uh, creative consultant on set or, uh, you know, in pre-production. That's me, Mark Radelidge, consultant to movies. That's what I want to be. Oh, you and everyone else. Let me save okay. your movie. Y- yes, yes. We will, you know what? You, me, and Sean Comer, we need to open up the We Will Save Your Franchise consulting firm. If you've got. <laughs> no, no. But I'm only half joking about this because. We'll call ourselves you've got the Crap the Busters. Re- Hang on. We'll call ourselves the Crap Busters. We are ready to there save you. <laughs> it's true. We'll come up with an awesome theme. We'll listen to metal all the time. And I'm just saying, you've got The Rock out there who is the franchise savior at this point. I mean, you say, by and large, The Rock saved G.I. Joe. The Rock saved Fast, the Fast and Furious franchise. You know, he's out there saving things. He's going to be Hercules. And if he was Hercules as part of the Marvel Universe, I would be happy. I heard a rumor that they were looking at casting him as Luke Cage. Again, look, The Rock needs to be a superhero in Marvel or DC. I mean, what's wrong with you? Another note to studio executives out there. Hire the Rock. I think they should make him Colossus. <laughs> that would, you know what? Why not? Colossus, <laughs> Luke Cage. If, if you want to do the Rock as a bad guy, he could be Black Adam. He could be. Uh, you know what? Even would be even better. Let the Rock be Doctor Strange. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, you know what? Why not? I mean, look, hire the Rock. The Rock's a great guy. No one promotes movies like the Rock does. He. It does, and I'm not just saying he'll go win another WWE championship. And though, if it's not Cena, I'm happy. Uh huh. That's actually not true. But that's a different discussion. Well, we talked about the Hulk a lot. Him as a bad guy, some of his bad, some of the bad guys he's faced off against, the studio executives being bad guys for not being able to give the Hulk a decent movie. There's a lot of bad guy stuff to go around as far as the Hulk goes. We could even bash on Eric Bana and Edward Norton for their portrayals of the Hulk because they didn't do anything justice. We, we can go on and on about bad guys in the Hulk universe. And we will, in fact. I will not have Mark Radlich with me. I believe I will have uh, Robert Cooper, who was on for my last podcast discussing evil villain, discussing, discussing villainous corporations. I believe I'll have him here, and we'll go through the bad guys that the Hulk faces, the Hulk's rogues gallery. He's got some doozies. We'll talk more about Thunderbolt Ross and him becoming the Red Hulk. Dun, dun, dun. We'll have to touch on Abomination, a bunch of other stuff. But that will be the next part of this. There will be a part two of the Hulk. We will look at his rogues gallery. It should be next week. So there, that's the immediate future of Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. Mark, what do you want to plug? Um, Tuesday is, uh, and because Turnabout is fair play, Robert Winfrey comes back on the long road to ruin, and we will close up the Scream franchise with parts three and four. Um, we will have a long discussion of former WCW World Heavyweight Champion David Arquette. Yes, yes, and his stellar acting ability. Man limps like nobody I've ever seen on screen. Uh, in a couple of weeks... Uh, when Man of Steel comes out, Jeff Harris and I will do our post-movie discussion of Man of Steel, and then that the Tuesday at, right after that, I think the next day, uh, Long Road to Ruin will examine. We'll do a special two-hour-plus episode examining in one Long Road to Ruin all four Christopher Reeve Supermans. Note: hey, You got a guest lined up not, for that? You know, uh, everybody wants in on that podcast. This, this may end up turning <laughs> into a gut. This may end up turning into a into a uh, panel discussion. But because um, Cooper Cooper wants in on that too. But uh, so you know, it's Superman week when I come back from 
the Outer Banks. Um, the Tuesday after that, Megadeth Part 2. If you haven't had an opportunity to, go check out uh, this week's um, past music podcast. We looked at the first six albums of Megadeth. If for no other reason, forget about me, forget about Megadeth, just listen to that podcast so you can hear Robert Cooper's impression of Bane. And Robert Winfrey, <laughs> you simply must have Robert Cooper talk about at least one of Hulk's characters in in the guise of Bane. It's hilarious. Uh, I will insi- I will insist on that. And you know, it's sad because I love Tom Hardy's interpretation of Bane, and I did love the voice. But you know, even sometimes great things are just the easiest to parody. Oh God, he's when Robert Winfrey does his impression of uh, Cooper of Bane. Uh, I, sorry, when Robert Cooper does his impression of Bane, I like I I clap and laugh like a little girl. <laughs> I, I just think it's the funniest thing in, in the world. Um, and last night he did like a anal- serious analysis of one of Megadeth's albums, just as Bane. I, I almost ended the podcast. I was like, yeah, I'm done. That's all we need to hear. Uh, Never the, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not getting any better than that, folks. Um, Sunday night, every Sunday night at 9 o'clock is the 401 Ground to Pound radio show, as Robert indicated earlier. Robert is one of our uh, panelists on that, along with Pat Mullen and uh, the aforementioned Jeffrey Harris. Thursday nights at 9 o'clock on the right hook, uh, sorry, on fromtherightradio.com, fromtherightradio.com. Uh, is The Right Hook, where John Brodigan and I uh, take a look at all the uh, fun stuff happening in the news and some serious stuff to boot. Um, We are sponsored in part by Florida Man and now Florida Woman. Florida Man and Florida Woman, funniest thing I've seen on Twitter all week. Um, You can also check out uh, previous podcasts I've done on thecasualheroes.com. I've been on both their uh, wrestling podcast as well as their MMA cast. So yeah, I'm two time and four one one. That's how I roll. All right, um, I think that's it for the interim, Robert. This has been uh, wonderful. Hey, I'm don't very, you very go happy. into Expo. You don't get to close this out. It's my show. Uh, I, I close it I'm out. Not closing anything. I'm just being grateful, you bastard. Oh, you um, were worried. No, I, I recognize Mark Radlich's closing voice. <laughs> I just wanted to say thank you. Okay. Well, thank okay. You. Say thank, thank you, but don't do your closing voice. I, I won't. I, I won't tell everyone to be well, be safe. I'm just kidding. Um, no, but seriously, thanks for having me on. Um, I I could talk about the Hulk, as you can tell, for hours, um, and it, it it was a lot of fun to be able to come and do this just for the little bit that we did. Got a lot off my chest. Hey, I'm glad to have you. Anytime I do one of these, you're always welcome. If you feel like you can talk about the subject matter or want to. If you ever have one you want me to do, I am always open to ideas. This goes out to anyone listening. If you have a particular villain, a series, a rogues gallery that you very much want me to cover, want me to find someone to cover with, um, let me know. I You can find me on Twitter. I'm going to plug my Twitter account. It is at WinfreeMMA. So you can hit me up there. I write a weekly column in the 411 MMA zone called Locked in the Guillotine, comes out every Friday, including this Friday, where I look back at the bloodiest card in UFC history, unofficially. You can ask me there, or in the comments for this on Blog Talk, in the comments for this, hypothetically on 411 Mania, I believe. I don't, uh, I believe it gets submitted there. It's not always up, but it should be, because this is awesome. I have great guests. I contribute something. I'm not a detriment anymore. Ha ha ha. Take that, mother-in-law. Kidding, I'm not married. So... Hit me up there. Again, I'm open to suggestions about that. Anybody wants to guest spot, I'm. if you feel you can talk about the subject matter, you don't even have to be all that entertaining necessarily. 
I will I will bring the entertainment. I will load funny noises into this, and I will play those if we need that for entertainment value. Guests are open. Topics are open. Hit me up if you want me to talk about something like that or if you want to be on this show. I'm not an elitist. Just don't be an idiot as far, is all I ask. Sometimes that's too much. Sometimes sometimes it's too much. So, plugs are done. Mr. Radlich has again expressed his his happiness at being on this. He is welcome anytime. My plug, my only plug, my column every week, Friday, Locked in the Guillotine, MMA News Report. I cover news, I cover fight cards, I preview, I review. This week I also look at the current crop of UFC champions and why I don't care who's facing them because they're going to lose anyway. Yes, Chris Weidman, yes, Johnny Hendricks, yes, Alexander Gustafson, I'm looking at all of you. Make me care, because you guys are not. So, for all of that, with all of that having been said... Thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Next week, Robert Cooper and I, Hulk's villainous crew, will look at all the guys he's Hulk smashed over the years. Thanks for listening. Remember, villains, they're everywhere. They make life sweeter because light is only as bright as the shadows allow it to be. Have a good night, everyone.